Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. This uh, morning we will continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, we started last week in our study of Ephesians chapter 5 uh, with an uh, understanding that we're in a walk of love. And we're going to pick up there uh, today. Let's join together for prayer. Dear gracious Father, Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the privilege to come into your house. And we praise you, Father, for the great joy that is to know you and to have uh, the opportunity to hear your spirit speak to our hearts. Lord, bless us that we might see your word. Lord, that we might apply it to our lives. Lord, that we might be called to a life of living for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we looked at the first couple of verses of Ephesians chapter 5 and uh, uh, guess what? We're still in those first couple of verses of Ephesians 5, but that's okay. We're still moving along. And we, uh, we understood that, that uh, from 1 John chapter 4 that uh, John tells us that, uh, that God is love. And for us to be like God, for us to, uh, to be, have a characteristics of Christ, we're to uh, be like God and, and exhibit His loving kindness. We're to be followers or mimics. And we, we understood that, that uh, the word there really is a word that means to mimic God, to be like God. First Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 15 and 16 says, But as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of life. Because it is written by, uh, be ye holy for I am holy. So uh, in, in Leviticus as well as in First Peter, we're encouraged to be holy like God, to be holy uh, in our demeanor, to be holy in the way in which we act and we live. And you might say, well, I can't be holy. I'm not a holy person. I'm not a holy roller. I'm not somebody that is, is holy like God is. But that's the whole point. We're to seek to be like God. We're to seek to to be as God is. And, and if we are truly children of God, we need to be like uh, children in that they tr- strive to be like mommy and daddy. They try and, and exhibit the kind of things that mommy and daddy do and they, uh, they uh, either grow up learning to put on makeup and, and trying to be like mommy does when she puts on makeup in the morning or, or you see little boys, they'll put all the shaving cream all over their face and, and they'll try and be like daddy and shave like daddy shaves in the morning. We need to be like God. We need to imitate God. We need to be like he is. And, and we talked about uh, what it means to be like God. It, that, that's the uh, the understanding of what's in the first couple of verses is that plea of being like God. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God, chapter 5, verse 1, as dear children. He says, just like children do, be imitators, be uh, mimics. Uh, that's what that word followers there uh, is. It's uh, uh, mimps is the word there for uh, that we use as followers. And what it means is to imitate God, be just like God, be just like what God does. Walk in love. How, how do we do that? We walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God 
for a sweet smelling savor, for fornica- uh, but fornication and all uncleanliness or covetous, let it not be once named among you as becomes, uh, become saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, no unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater hath an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you in vain, with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers in them." So we're to be like God. We're, this is the plea. Is to plea is is to to please be like God. Just try and imitate God. Do everything you can to be as much as as you can to be like God. Let your life be uh, uh, like Christ, and in doing so, you will be a person who walks in love, strives to be uh, a person of love, strives to live a life of loving others, and we see that we we do that uh, with uh, the fact that God has is beginning to create in us a new man. Do we put off the old person? We put off all the old filthiness and all the grime and all the stuff that 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 is a part of our life, and we get rid of it. It's it's kind of like uh, 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 I, you know you, you see the the poor guys that are working construction out there in the heat and everything, and when they get to lunchtime, their their clothes are just soaking wet because they're just full of sweat and and it, and their and their whole body is covered in what and grass or whatever it is that they're doing and and they they're just completely covered and when they go in to take a break that a lot of times those guys will will uh change into a new shirt because they're just completely covered in the filth that's out there that they're working in and that's the idea you don't want to uh, you don't want to come in and and from all of that stuff that you're doing and take off all those old clothes that are full of of dirt and grime and all the filth that's on there and get all cleaned up and showered up and all that and then put on the same old clothes they're just full of, of sweat and dirty smells and and filth and dirt and and grass and everything else you don't put all that stuff back on after you been out in the, uh, and cleaned up, you, you want to put on fresh clothes. You want to put on something that smells good, that smells like gain or, or dawn or whatever it is that you wash your clothes in. Uh, you want to make sure that your clothes are smelling fresh and clean and, and they're not full of sweat. You want to, you want to put on something that's clean and, and that's what uh, Paul is encouraging these uh, folks in Ephesus is to put on the new man to put on uh, the love of Christ. And so we need to ask ourselves, how did Christ exhibit this love? We, we talked about uh, the, the, uh, the plea of, of changing our lives, of walking in, in the newness of life. And uh, one of the things that, that Paul here uses to demonstrate how we should live is he says, look at what Christ did. Christ was, first of all, <coughs> forgiving in how He loved. You know, for a lot of us, we, we don't really understand what truly love is because we see this perversion of what love is in the world. We see the love of the world that's filled with uh, uh, a lot of unforgiveness. 
Uh, when someone does something wrong, you, you, you tend to be, uh, uh, the world says, no, you just set that person aside and you never forgive them. You just move on to the next person that might give you love. No, the, the love that Jesus demonstrated was a forgiving love. It began with forgiveness because we didn't deserve His love. We didn't deserve any of the love that, that, that God demonstrated towards us. And we began to see the love of Christ in His forgiveness for us and the forgiveness of our sin and His willingness to go to the cross of Calvary in our place. He says uh, that we are to be just like Christ and walk in love as Christ showed us His love. That showing that Christ gave us was a forgiving love. It was an unconditional love. It didn't say you have to be this way first before, you, before I'll show you this love. His, uh, Jesus didn't say, oh, you've got to uh, live this kind of way and you've got to go for so long without sinning and, and you've got to give uh, everything that you have away to somebody else. No, Jesus Christ said, I will not only forgive you of your sins, but I will love you unconditionally. I'll love you even when you don't love me. I will love you in spite of the fact that you don't love me. I will love you and uh, even though you may never love me. That's an unconditional love. And then Jesus' love is a sacrificial love, a love that's willing to give of Himself, a love that is uh, uh, a self-sacrificing love. He demonstrated His love and that He went to the cross in our place he didn't say, I'm going to wait until you show me love back. I'm not going to give you my love until you are willing to, to earn it or, or to be able to accomplish something that I want to, uh, you to, to demonstrate back to me. He says, no, I'm going to give you my love regardless of what you do. Uh, that's the unconditional part. And he says, I'm going to give you my love because of... Uh, the fact that I'm sacrificing, self-sacrificing. I'm going to give everything that I have for you. And so we see the pattern of Christ's love, uh, uh, the pattern of forgiveness, the pattern of being unconditional, the pattern of being self-sacrificing. And, and that's what we're called to do as well, to, to sacrifice of ourselves that we might show the rest of the world His love, that we might be people of love. He says, walk as Christ walked, love as Christ uh, loved, giving of Himself an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He was willing to sacrifice Himself. And so then we see the perversion that comes next. We didn't get into all of that last week. We uh, kind of stopped with just the looking at the plea and the pattern, uh, but now we see the perversion. Verse 3 says, "...but fornication and all uncleanliness..." And covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh the saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, no unclean person, or no uh, covetous man who is an idolater hath an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. This is all a demonstration of how the world loves. The world loves uh, is a, a, a love of unforgiveness. There, the world's love is full of unforgiving, uh, un, uh, uh, unrealistic kind of love. The world has a, a fantasy for love. 
wanting to show us all the, the things of the world that, that is uh, so unconventional. And it's also a conditional love. It, it all uh, The people of this world, they, they have a, an idea of love that, that says, well, if you treat me good and if you, do what, if you scratch my itch and you give me what I want to get uh, have, I'll love you. But as soon as you don't give me that, I guess what? I'm going on to better, uh, better uh, days and better places and I'm going to go and uh, live a different life away from you. It's a conditional love, conditional upon the fact that you give me what I want. And what does the world want? Lots of times the world wants money, the world wants possessions, the world wants things. And so the world's uh, idea of love is not unconditional, but conditional. You have to give me this and give me that. And then it's also self-centered. And we saw that beautiful image in uh, uh, the book of uh, John, where uh, Jesus is uh, there with his disciples at the Pharisee's house, and they've come in, and and uh, they're talking about uh, uh, who's going to be the the greatest in the kingdom, who's going to be seated beside Jesus, and all the disciples are all thinking about themselves, and they're not one of them thinking about Jesus, not one of them thinking about their responsibility, not one of them thinking of service, and Jesus points out to them a true image of unconditional love, a true image of a godly love. And he, they point to this uh, this woman who has come in and the whole time that they're there and they're all arguing about who's the greatest, she's standing at the feet of Jesus. And she's not, she doesn't feel worthy of saying a word, doesn't feel worthy of even taking uh, uh, any kind of attention away from anything that's going on. And she's sitting there the whole time crying at the feet of Jesus. And her tears are streaming down her eyes because she understands what Christ has done for her. And all those tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. And she takes her hair down and she takes her hair and she cleans the feet of Jesus with her, uh, with her tears and with her hair. And then she takes this precious ointment that's in a, uh, uh, a jar that's uh, made of a stone. And she breaks it open. This was to be her dowry. This was to be a part of what she had for uh, was saving for when she, <coughs> excuse me, when she got married. And she breaks it open, symbolic of the fact that uh, she's going to just uh, uh, lavish all of it upon the feet of Jesus and not save any of it. Uh, she she breaks open the jar and pours all of it on the feet of Jesus. And she's uh, sitting there soothing his feet. And Jesus brings up uh, her actions to the disciples as they're asking him who's going to be the greatest amongst the disciples. And Jesus said, Not one of you thought of, of washing my feet when we entered in, but she's done nothing but. Not one of you thought of anointing my head with oil, which was a common practice during that time. He said, not one of you has, but she's been anointing my feet with this precious ointment. Not one of you has done anything to express a welcoming spirit, but she's done nothing but. He says, this is the true example of love. 
And what they were doing was all self-centered. Everything they were doing was, was uh, demonstrating a selfish kind of uh, thought of only themselves. Well, we see in this, uh, these next verses, starting in verse 3, a description of all the actions and attitudes of this world. And Jesus says, I don't want you to have... Uh, Paul says, you don't need to have any of these things because these are all opposite of what the love of Christ is. He says, uh, but look, look at verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you. This uh, uh, the first word I want to introduce you to is a word that is egrektia. It is a word in Greek that stands for discipline, and it's a word that's used here. And it talks about self-control. It talks about the ability to trans transcend one's own passions, to transcend one's own desires, and it's used many times in Scripture. And and what. Uh, 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 was famously used was in Acts chapter 24 verse 25 is when Paul is standing in judgment before uh, Felix. He's, he's been in, put in chains and he's uh, giving his testimony and he talks to Felix, the governor, and he talks to him about what he's doing. Now, uh, if you remember, uh, and if you want to go back and look in Acts chapter 24, you'll read that Felix had uh, a uh, uh, he had a relationship with his brother's wife and he uh, took her and uh, was treating her as if he was married to her and Paul is is bringing out this information to Felix and he's uh, condemning that kind of action and this is the kind of thing of word that talks about Discipline and self-control, and and what Paul is using here in Ephesians is uh, a uh, this word. Uh, he's saying you are to have all discipline and self-control, not uh, the opposite of that, which is fornication and covetousness. And he said, and and so he says, I want you to have discipline rather than living this kind of life of of undiscipline. And I want to share with you another word. It is a, a Greek word named uh, that is uh, pornea. It is the lack of control. It's undisciplined life. It is uh, always used to to des describe uh, bestiality, and uh, 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 it's also used when when describing homosexuality and pedophilia and uh, prostitution and, and harlotry. It's, it's this word that uh, we get our word for porn today. And, and uh, there's another word called grafe that is used. Uh, there's a word that means to write, grafe. And uh, the combination of those two words, pornea and grafe, is where we get pornography, where it's to write about uh, pornographic material, to write about all these perversions. And, and Paul is saying you need to stay away from that filth. You stay away from those things that are disgraceful. Why? Because it has nothing to do with the love of Christ. It has nothing to do with... He says when you are a Christian, when you have, are a child of God... You are to demonstrate the heart of Christ. You are to demonstrate the heart of God. And when you allow these things of, of, of uh, perversions, of fornication, and, 
and covetousness. And let me remind you what covetousness is. It's, it's a desire to have your neighbor's wife, as it's described in Exodus chapter 20. It's, it's, to describe, it's to have a desire to have that which is not yours. And Paul is writing about this perversion within uh, uh, the saints. And he says you're not to have this perversion. Why? Because we're to... We're to uh, look, we, as, as I was told as a child many times, you, are, you may be the only Bible that, that non-Christians ever get to see. Your life is, is to be an example of who God is, an example of who Christ is. Paul is, is saying you're to demonstrate Christ's love. <coughs> Excuse me. Why? Because you are a child of God. You are His child and we're to mimic who He is so that others will see the love of Christ. And so the reason why we're to be holy is because we're to demonstrate the character of Christ's love because others may never see it. And so when you allow this uncleanliness into your life, this fornication, this covetousness, this uh, uh, filthy language, this filthy uh, uh, stories, the filthiness and foolish talking and jesting that's, uh, that's not convenient, all of this stuff that is uh, hormonging and unclean, Uh, talk and covetousness, all of this is not demonstrating who Christ is. It's not... And and basically, the world is going to do as they already are doing. And they'll say, well, if your life is all filled with all this filthiness, all of this perversion, why do I need to give my heart and life to Christ if I'm already that way? That's the whole thing. We're to demonstrate the new man that's within us. Demonstrate the new person that is that God is creating within us. Paul wrote in Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, chapter five, about uh, the church. There, he says, "Put that person out that is uh, 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 in that perversion." He's writing about uh, that. Uh, person that he says, I'm writing to you because of the fact that uh, it's been made aware to me that there are those who are engaging in these kind of things. And and Paul says, put that person out of your uh, fellowship. Deliver them on back to Satan, he says, because they're never a Christian if they demonstrate this actions. There's another word, uh, acrotherese, it's uncleanliness. It, it refers to that uncleanliness that Paul's talking about here. It, it, it really is a demonstration of uh, if you've ever been to the dump or you've been uh, to a place where there's a, a collection of garbage. It's, it's a word that demonstrates decay, rottenness, stinking. You know, trash that's been out and 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 has been rotting in the in the hot sun. There's maggots running all through it. That word is 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 uh, that this word here, and it and it talks about those things that we don't need to have in our life, not to have that uh, that uncleanliness. And then there's the word plexania. And it is covetousness. It's greediness. It's, a, it's being stingy. 
It's always chasing after that elusive bubble that always pops when you go out to catch it. It's the fantasy that never is a reality. And it describes literally what the world holds out to us as a description of, of love. It's that imitation of selfish uh, uh, desire that, that Satan tries to, to uh, counterfeit the love of God that God has for us. That love of that godly love that's a love of 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 uh, forgiveness a love of unconditional love uh, a love that is self-sacrificing the world uh, has this covetousness the greediness that is the imitation of love that's always elusive and is a fantasy that's never uh, ultimately realized and we need it's the kind of love uh, this plex uh Plexonia is is the kind of love that the, of like a teenage boy that goes uh, always searching for the next pretty girl that might come along, always searching, never being satisfied, finding uh, uh, the love of his life. We're to to shun all that covetousness, all that greediness, all that uh, uncleanliness and uh, not let it be a part of our life. He says, uh, not only are we not to have it in our life, he says, don't let it even be named once among you, in verse 3. He says, keep it out of your life. Don't allow it to, uh, uh, allow this filthiness to be a part of your life. It's, it's kind of like, if you go back uh, to uh, uh, 1 Samuel, you read about, uh, King David. And when King David was in the palace after he became king and, and after he'd been successful and after God had blessed him, uh, it you read about how David stayed behind when his army went off to battle. And that was the first mistake. He wasn't where God wanted him to be. And, and then David goes walking out on the, the top of the palace uh, and he's uh, out there in the evening and he uh, sees in the distance a young woman that is bathing on the, on the roof of the house. And he's smitten by her form and he sees her and he sees what he's not supposed to see. He's not supposed to be there. He sees something that's private. He sees uh, uh, a woman there that is in, an into, uh, in, a, in a personal moment of, of taking a bath on the rooftop. And he inquires of that woman and he says to his attendants, go get me that woman. And it's Bathsheba. And, she, and he uh, has a physical relationship with her and she gets pregnant. And that leads to even further sin. Not just simply the sin of, of, of lusting after a woman. Not, not just the, the sin of fornication. Not just the sin of, of having a relationship outside of marriage, but she was married and, and her husband was one of his trusted soldiers and, and he committed murder. He plotted so that, uh, that her husband would be killed. Uriah would be uh, set out there in the midst of battle and be killed so that he could take her because why? He was trying to cover up his own sin. This kind of of love outside of God's plan 
is what is being described here. And any time that we seek something outside of God's design, outside of God's plan, is a description of these uh, filthy things, this covetousness, this filth that we're not to have in our life. We're instead to, to search for that uh, that God has, has given. And, and here Paul even includes filthy talk. Well, preacher, I, you know, the things I say, uh, they don't really mean anything. I'm just being silly and all that kind of stuff. He says, look, don't have any filthy talk, uh, no foolish talking, verse 4, no filthiness, no foolish talking, no jesting, which are not convenient. What he's talking about here is not necessarily that you have the convenience of time, but it's not what you're supposed to have in your heart and your life. He's saying what comes out of your mouth is a description of what's inside of your heart. You allow filthiness like coarse language, like cursing, like uh, jesting about (coughs) sexuality and jesting about filthy things, telling dirty jokes. That's what's inside of your heart if you allow that stuff to come out of your mouth. James chapter 1 says we're called to have a holy conversation. We're called, what he's basically saying here is in James chapter 1 is, is that we are called to, have, to display the heart of God. Is the heart of God filthy? Of course not. Then if God has changed you and transformed you into a new creation, if God has, is in the process of redeeming your life, then you're not going to have filthy talk come out of your mouth. You're going to have things that are edifying. You're going to have things come out of your mouth that are uh, uh, good for others to hear. And basically what he's saying here is, is that what needs to come out of your mouth is thankfulness. What's the opposite of all this filth? It's an expression of thanks to God for all that He has done. So when what He's saying here is, is what you need to do whenever you have a tendency or have a desire to have this filth come out of your mouth, whenever you have a desire to engage in this, this filthy lifestyle, this uh, covetousness, the fornication, the, uh, uh, all this stuff that's not becoming of those who are children of God, whenever you want to have this, uh, this desire to, uh, to be whoremonging and to have this unclean spirit upon you, he says, you need instead to thank God. Have a thankful heart. Display a thankfulness. Why? Because you are expressing gratitude for the love that God has shown you. You're displaying God's uh, heart of holiness. And so what we have, again, in these first few verses is the plea. plea the plea of be like followers of God, be children of God, the pattern of how we are to live, of displaying God's love. We have the perversion, now we come to the punishment. He says, because if you don't get this right in your life, you may not be a child of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God. That's the punishment. 
upon the children of disobedience. If you are being disobedient towards God, if you're being uh, allowing this perversion in your life, maybe you've never given your heart and life to Christ. Maybe you've never really allowed God to begin to change and transform your life. Perhaps you're a child of perversion rather than a child of God. And what comes to those who are not children of God is the punishment, the wrath of God. He says, For you're not partakers of the things of God. Be not partakers of the things of this world. He says, If you're not a child of God, then you're not a part of His kingdom. That's the wrath of God. Why can God's wrath be so decisive? Because His love is so decisive. His love is forgiving. His love is so gracious. It's self-sacrificing. There's no excuse for denying His love. So when you have denied His love, there is no... There's no avoiding His wrath. (coughs) Excuse me. So if, if we do not take part in His love, if we're not partakers in His forgiveness, if we don't partake of His gracious self-sacrifice, then we've been cast out into this world. And we're not part of His kingdom. And we're part of the wrath that comes. Brothers and sisters, we need to be thankful for what God has done for us. You need to accept His love. You need to accept His gift of salvation. You need to accept His gift of forgiveness. His gift of love. And once His love has entered into your life, we need to be demonstrators, to be mimics of God's love. We need to be demonstrators of the heart of God. If God's living in you, He says, none of that needs to be a part. None of that filth of this world needs to be a part of your life. Rather, you need to imitate His love. A love that is forgiving. A love that is unconditional. A love that is self-sacrificing. And not imitators of the love of this world. Not allowing the filth of this world anywhere in your life. Because it will consume, it will dominate, and it does not show the love of God. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You and praise You for Your great love. We praise You that You've given us Your unconditional love. Lord, help us to walk in Your love. Help us to demonstrate the love of Christ in this world. Help us to to show Your love, the love that has been implanted in us, Lord, help us to shun the uh, the things of this world. Help us to cast away that old filth of this world that seeks to to show the world an untruthful picture of Your love. Lord, instead, help us to show the heart of God, a love that is compassionate, a love that is forgiving, a love that is self-sacrificing, a love that's unconditional. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.